39 people have been found dead inside a lorry container in Grays in Essex. Police say the vehicle had traveled from Bulgaria. A couple of weeks ago, and the desperation of people to leave their home and flee across borders hit the headlines again after 39 Vietnamese people were found dead in a lorry container. It was the latest grim statistic in how people will risk everything for a new life. The stories of migrants and asylum seekers went to the top of the news agenda after the conflict in Syria saw widespread movement, with a million people arriving in Europe in 2015 alone. They made their journey in flimsy boats across the sea, and then started a long journey through European countries looking for somewhere to take them in. But this led to politicians using language that many found inappropriate. Here's David Cameron, then UK Prime Minister, in July 2015. You've got a swarm of people coming across the Mediterranean, seeking a better life, wanting to come to Britain because Britain has got jobs, it's got a growing economy, it's an incredible place to live. And politicians were not the only ones to stir up hate speech. In countries around Europe, the media were often intensely hostile to those seeking asylum. In one of the most notorious cases, the then Sun columnist Katie Hopkins compared asylum seekers to cockroaches, a decision she later defended. I think two things will always sell newspapers. One of them is Maddie McCann and one of them is migrants. We were always taught that there was only a few people that could withstand or a few animals or few creatures that could withstand a nuclear holocaust. So I was talking about the enduring nature of migrants able to cross the Mediterranean and I used the term cockroach. The coverage changed in September 2015 when a representative of the NGO Human Rights Watch tweeted a picture of a boy on a beach in Turkey which went viral. His name is Aylan Kurdi. His family's dream ended on a beach in Turkey. It's believed they'd been trying to reach the Greek island of Kos when their overcrowded dinghy capsized. On Twitter, the hashtag RefugeesWelcome trended. Many took up the German Chancellor's earlier challenge, We Can Do This, to manage the refugee crisis, with politicians speaking out. Donations to refugee charities soared, but the empathy didn't last. So it was coming towards the end of the concert, and uh, we heard this crackling noise, like firecrackers. And then we realised, well, I realised that something wasn't right and it wasn't part of the concert when the lead singer's face just dropped and he looked petrified and he ran off stage himself. The Bataclan terrorist attacks in Paris in November 2015 killed 131 people and were the deadliest attack in France since the Second World War. While Islamic State claimed responsibility, the media seized on the fact that some of the attackers may have entered Europe posing as refugees. Coverage turned hostile, which intensified after reports of a string of sexual assaults against women in Cologne and other German cities over the new year, for which refugees were blamed and asylum policy tightened. A later investigation by D Correspondent concluded that several dozen young men, many of North African origin, sexually assaulted and robbed hundreds of women in the crowd. But this was a well-known problem, and not to do with the recent influx of asylum seekers and refugees. Hostility continued with immigration being a key battleground, for example, in the Brexit referendum and the election of Donald Trump in 2016. But throughout the coverage, one thing was very often missing, a sense of the refugees themselves. Research from the LSE found that fewer than one in six articles gave the name of a refugee and one in 14 their profession while more than one in three gave their nationality. The sense is that this has become the new normal. In our research at City, 
which included a sample of 23 different print and online sources in the UK. Asylum seekers and refugees were named by name 34.4% of the time, but half of those stories focused on a police arrest. Welcome to The Know-How, a podcast aimed at bringing academics and professionals together to dissect the pressing matters of today. I'm Dr. Glenda Cooper. And I'm Dr. Lindsay Blumel. In this special recording, sponsored by the 2019 ESRC Festival of Social Science, we're fortunate to have two guests who have a key insight into this. They are both refugees who are also journalists. Abdul Wahab Tahan is originally from Syria, where he worked as a journalist fixer. Since coming to the UK, he is a graduate of the Refugee Journalism Project and is now doing a PhD in media studies. Zozan Yasar is a Kurdish journalist from Turkey who was granted asylum in the UK last year. Before coming here, she worked for Voice of America and Kurdish media outlets. So I'm from Aleppo, Syria, which is uh, the biggest town in Aleppo. And um, in 2011, we started an uprising against Assad. And um, when it started, I was not in the country. I was in Lebanon. I was teaching English. And then I thought, this is a major thing in my country. I need to go back and see what's going on. I'm from Kurdistan, part of Turkey, as you mentioned. Um, I, all my life was like, I grew up under war. Actually, I can't say that I had a good life and because the, my village was um, burned down by the Turkish government in 1990s uh, with uh, three, 4,000 other villages and many people had to relocate to other cities or west of Turkey. There was no any freedom of speech and then there was persecution and massacres and genocide and I witnessed people killed in front of me. I remember my first protest, I went there, I wanted, it was my first and my friend has already been there. And I asked my friend for advice and he said, where are your running shoes? Because the um, security forces attack us, we run away. It's not like in London where people go to Starbucks before and police come here and provide you with toilet. It's completely the opposite. I went to Istanbul and Istanbul and I started to work as a journalist. And there also I was arrested and I was um, threatened by the Turkish police and government. I was beaten by the Turkish government, uh, polices and all the time. So it was really difficult to say um, to, to live in Turkey. And I witnessed 17 bomb attacks and I lost some of my friends in these attacks. So in 2017, and I had to leave the country because the pressure gets, got uh, very high, very high, and then I didn't have any chance to stay there. It was not safe for me to stay in the country. I've lost some dear loved ones. Um, so I, I, I made a decision that it was time for me to leave um, in Syria, and I left. Do you miss home? Uh, do I miss home? Uh, the, the, the problem is home is is very distorted image now. So my neighborhood is destroyed. Um, the place where I grew up is destroyed. So uh, do I miss the, the idea of having a home once? Yes, it's, it's nice to have it, but it's not realistic. It's not there. I cried all day at the home office just because I didn't want to apply asylum. And in the home office, everybody were like looking, why are you crying? And then, because it was really hard decision. Two, two months, I tried to make this decision to apply asylum because I left all my loved ones behind me. Abdul, you recently tweeted, journalists listen to locals. 
What did you mean by that? An example of this was I, when I was in Syria and I was in Turkey, I was a fixer for a lot of journalists. Most of the journalists were white Middle Eastern people, white middle-aged people um, who um, they loved the idea of being a war reporter. So they're not led by their findings, but they're by their assumptions. And this was a, a huge problem. A migrant or a refugee is not good enough just to be a subject of an interview, but it should be he or she should be a partner, a collab uh, someone you collaborate with in order to produce something. Imagine if I was going to report on Brexit to audience in, in, in Syria, and I come to England, I don't speak English, I try to find English people speaking Arabic, and then, you know, give them my perspective on it. I would totally get it wrong. I would not get it right at all. But if I work with people who know the language, know the country, and understand what's going on, I would have a, somehow a better informed idea or a report. And this is the importance of talking to local people. In Middle East, um, it is really difficult to talk about different topics. Every day we wake up what's going to happen or um, what is next and because this is our reality and we we can't stop talk about uh, war and when I just gather with my friends and we just directly start talk about politics because the big issue is politics in my country and war. Often in the UK it's the tabloid press that gets um, you know sort of hammered for the kind of coverage it does but uh, does the UK sort of quality media and um, newspapers uh, get it any better? Is there a problem with how they portray refugees, do you think? I read an article um, a few months ago um, from New Switzerland, I think, and there was a woman who was saying, um, I'm a good refugee. <laughs> <laughs> so this was really like hurt me a lot because normally when we check media and we often see the um, news about successful people and uh, different like people who graduated from Cambridge and Oxford and other universities or something else. So, but I think every human has a very special story to be told. The, the, the idea is that in, in the press, usually, you'd see um, stories of very, very successful people like Cambridge or Oxford or someone who's making millions, if that ever the situation, or someone who's incredibly miserable, living a miserable life. The problem is there's no one in between. One of the reasons of this refugee journalism um, project that we're doing is to promote a better, not a, a more realistic picture. So we're doing a podcast now. Uh, hopefully, it will be launched in two months. Uh, it's called Integrate That. Uh, which is all about refugee stories. Normal, very boring stories that you would hear from normal people. And the, the, the reason for that is that those refugees would be given the platform to report their own story the way they want to report it and put it out there. Abdul, something unique about you is that you use humor to tell your story. Why is that important to you? I think it's the only, the only way possible to come to terms with my reality is through humor and through sarcasm. And when people talk to refugees, they feel kind of like very PC. They don't want to ask them personal questions. Well, for me personally, and for most of my friends who are also refugees, um, it's totally normal to talk about this. It's totally normal to, to mention it, to, to joke about it um, even. Uh, I always joke about swimming. I also always say that Syria now has the worst Olympic team because everyone who could swim and run is living in Europe. <laughs> um, so uh, this is the only way, to be honest with you, that I can cope 
with the, with the reality. Um, even when I was working in the most dire situation, you know, I was monitoring um, ISIS propaganda media in order to report on the casualties. That was the only way people in the office would joke about these things in order to, you know, to cope with it and not to be extremely traumatized. Well, thank you very much. Thank you to Zezan Yashar and Abdul Tahan for being our guests this evening. The Know Her podcast was presented by Glenda Cooper and Lindsay Blumel and produced by Atina Dimitrova. You can find more episodes and live events by going to our website, thenowhowpodcast.com, or follow us on Twitter at knowhowpodcast or on Facebook search for The Know How Podcast. Next time we'll be talking to Professor Monica Attard, the distinguished former Russian correspondent about Russia and the media. Thank you again for listening.